How many of you have had experiences in your life where something bad happened to you or to your family, and you ask God, why did this happen? And then a year, six months, five years down the line, you saw where that was leading to, and it was actually leading to something good. You ever had that happen? How God works. God can change things that happen bad, and he can change them into something good. Maybe for our education, for many, many different reasons. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, the name of the sermon is God's Plans Are Long Range. We don't think long range very often, do we? Most humans are more, I want it now. I want to see something, you know, right now. And in fact, psychologists tell us that that's really the difference between supposedly children's behavior and adults' behavior is that children want things right now, whereas adults have learned they can put off instant gratification for longer periods of time, knowing that it's best if you wait on certain things. However, we see many times that adults don't have that behavior either, do we? <laughs> We're just like the kids. And so we need to learn that lesson. Sometimes in our arrogance, we question God's plans for our lives. We ask, God, why did you do that? Or what were you thinking by allowing this or that to happen to me? But we seem to forget Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I want to read that. It says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things which are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do my pleasure. So we're going to look at a story today of a person who we might look at many of the things that happened to him and say, oh, man, that's bad. Why did God allow that to happen? And yet we see as we go through the story why God allowed it to happen and how God really used it for the plan that God had for him. Um, If we read this story at face value, we might question God's fairness on certain things. But remember, his plan is worldwide and long-range. He's not thinking just about this moment in time. He's thinking about the whole moments in time. And in fact, as a sidebar, think about where we are in Earth's history. God has patiently led and waited for many, 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 many years for the thing that he's going to accomplish at the end. And so it's the end result he's more concerned with, not the things that happened along the way. The story is of probably one of the greatest biblical characters, good and bad, and that's David, story of David. Uh, Ethel and I are reading through the David books, and I would really recommend if you ever want some good reading to read through. There's five books now in the series all about the life of David. Um, many things happened 
in David's life, including many bad things. But as we go through these events, hopefully we'll be able to see that God's pl- uh, see God's plan for him and why certain events happened and for what purpose God allowed them to happen. Number one event, and we're going to talk, I think, about five events. Number one event was being called to Saul's palace to play for a crazy man. Now, if you were a young shepherd who was used to being out in the quiet and in the outside uh, air, being out in the fields and having peace and quiet, why would you want to be called to the palace to sing for a crazy man? It didn't seem to portend very good for David. David had already been anointed by Samuel, so God knew he was going to be what someday? Have you ever stopped to think, how could David learn to be king if he didn't have some instruction on how to be a king? And so that's one of the reasons why God allowed him to go to the palace, because he needed to teach a young shepherd all about how to be king, how to run a palace, how to deal with people. So even though God knew that Saul was going to hurl javelins at David and try to kill him when he heard that David had been anointed king, what better way to teach David how to be a king but to put him in a live palace? Also by putting David in touch with a person who would be his personal mentor. And who was that? Hmm? Jonathan. I want you to take your Bibles with me. Um, and I'm going to uh, read 1 Samuel 20, verses... Uh, oh, we'll read quite a bit of that chapter, maybe up to verse 16 or 17. Remember... Who was supposed to be the next king? Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. He was the oldest uh, of David's, I mean, of uh, Saul's kids. And so when David had to flee because Saul kicked him out of the palace because he was jealous, if you read down in 1 Samuel 20, 1 to 17, maybe even on farther, you'll find out that David had take, or Jonathan had taken David under his wings. He had learned what God had done through Samuel, that David was going to be the next king. And without a jealous bone in his body, he basically tried to help David get through this period of time. He uh, provided his friendship. He protected him. Uh, at this point in time, when uh, David was sent out, and kicked out of the palace to fend for himself, he actually took it upon himself to do a test with King Saul to see whether Saul would let him back or not. And it talks about that. You remember the story about the arrows that he shot and how that was to be a sign whether David could come back or not. Now, how would David had ever met Jonathan, the one who mentored him and who really taught him more than anything when he was there at the palace, if God hadn't allowed him to come and play for a crazy man. 
So God was looking at the big picture. He wasn't looking at a bad thing that might happen, that Saul would get angry at him and try to kill him and things like this. But he knew that he needed somebody to mentor him. He knew he needed to know all about palace life. If he was going to be the king in Judah and Israel, well, how is he going to do that? He has to have some instruction. So even though it was something bad that happened, God used it for a lesson for good. Also, during the time that David was at the palace, what else was he going to have to learn? If he was going to be a king, he was going to have to have an army. And how was he going to learn that, being a shepherd out in the field, without learning the arts of war? And so while he went to the palace, of course, we know that he was in Saul's army. He, at one time, was the general of Saul's army. And he learned all the different things that you have to do to command men, to have battle plans, to depend on the Lord for that battle, if nothing else, to let God lead you into battle in God's plans and not by your own plans. So all these things God had in mind as a long-range plan that David didn't even know when he was called to stay in the palace and play for Saul, even though Saul tried to kill him. Now, number two event. David was driven from the palace by Saul's death decree. Now, how would you feel if you had put your all into serving Saul and to singing for him and lifting him from his moods and so on, and then he drove you from the palace with a death decree? How would you feel? God, why did you allow that to happen? Aren't you watching over me? Aren't you protecting me? I mean, that's how we would all feel, wouldn't it? Like something terrible has happened and God has left us alone. And I'm sure we all feel that way sometimes when things happen to us in our lives. God, where are you? I'm sure David didn't look on the banishment from the palace with favor. He asked God just as we do, God, why have you allowed this? But in God's plan, David wasn't ready to be a king yet. His education was not finished. He learned, or he needed to learn to depend on God as he was being chased all over the countryside by Saul. One of the lessons David had to learn was that you would depend on God for your safety. You would depend on God to tell you where to go to hide from Saul. You would depend on God for every decision that you made in your life. God also used this time for another thing, and that was to raise David's army. <laughs> and we don't think about that necessarily. But while he was running around in the wilderness, what do you think happened? Let's turn to 1 Samuel 27, 1-2. Uh, in fact, no, let's for 22, 1 to 2. Let's do that first. 22, 1 to 2. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, now this is in the whole land of Judah, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, Everyone who was discontented 
gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So God was teaching him another lesson, and that was to how to be a leader and commander of men. As he was sent out into the wilderness because of Saul's death decree, and of course by this time, many people in Judah had already heard what Samuel had done in anointing David to be the next king. So everyone who was dis, uh, disinherited, everyone who had been uh, persecuted or was in a bad place, they went to David and said, I want to be a member of your band. And so God was slowly raising up his army that he was going to use years in the future to defend Israel and to do God's will. Had to start someplace, right? And so this is what God was doing, was sending all these people to him. If you read in First Chronicles 12, you'll read about all his mighty men. And by the time he got done with his uh, time in Hebron, before he went to Jerusalem and set up his palace and became king of all Israel and Judah, he had thousands of men who were following him as his army, his personal retainers, and so on. So God was leading in all that, even though David, when he was sent out of the palace, was saying, oh, what's going to become of me? God was using that for a reason. Event number three. Nabal denies David and his men food that they badly needed. You remember the story? During the time that David was in the wilderness being chased by Saul, obviously he didn't have a job. <laughs> and so what was he doing? How does he feed his growing army and his growing retainers? Well, it's very possible that they were doing running messages and working with caravans and doing other things. Um, it's possible they were protecting people because a band of 400 mighty men, you just don't sit around and knit. And so um, it's very possible that he was doing protection services for many of the farmers, many of the people who were going through the land. And as part of the protection, he was protecting, as the story goes, Nabal's flocks. Now, Nabal was not just a ordinary man. Uh, it talks about Nabal being a very rich man and a very important man uh, in the area of Carmel and had many, many, many flocks scattered all over the lands uh, for their grazing. And in that point of time, Israel was not a very safe place, and so what would probably happen to many of his flocks? Well, they might be eaten by bears, uh, attacked by wolves, but more than likely they probably could be stolen as the flocks were scattered all over the place and many times there was only one shepherd for the flock. Pe people would come in and steal some sheep and David was providing protection for Nabal's flocks. As David was having a hard time feeding this group of men, he decided that this would be a good opportunity because it was sheep shearing time to go and ask Nabal for some food for his men. We don't realize, because our society may not be like that, but at the sheep shearing time was a normal time for people who had nothing to go and ask the rich, shep uh, rich uh, owners of these flocks for help. And that was a time that they were almost required to help the people who needed 
food and other things like this. And so David, as was the custom, decided I'm going to send some people to Nabal and say, um, I've been protecting your flocks. I've been keeping them safe. Now it's sheep shearing time. Would you be kind enough to give us some food because we're having a hard time finding food to eat? And what was Nabal's reply? It wasn't just no. It was, who is this David guy and why should I feed him? He's just a runaway slave sitting out in the wilderness stealing from people. You know, it was really a very disrespectful, um, hurtful thing that Nabal said to David. Now, David, as we know from history, was a very uh, forgiving, um, musical, quiet type person in many parts of his life. But in some parts of his life, he was not like that. And David didn't take Nabal's answer very well. And so let's read 1 Samuel 25, 12 and 13. So David's young men, when they brought back the message, David's young men turned on their heels and went back and came and told David all the words that Nabal had said. And then what did David say? Every man gird on his sword. Every man girded on his sword. David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Um, so what was David going to do? He was going to kill him for not only not being kind, but for the affront that he had in calling David more or less just a servant and a thief. How would you feel if you were David and you would ask for help and food and someone gave you that response? Humiliated, angry, God, I thought you were protecting me, and yet this man does this to me. And yet God was using it for a bigger purpose, if you go on with the story. What happened when David went and got close to Carmel? Okay. Abigail came out and was the type of person who completely diffused the situation. Um, came with food, a whole caravan full of food. And not only that, but she knelt down in front of David and said, my husband was a fool and he, you know, I'll take the responsibility and here's uh, food, will you please forgive his behavior and so on. Something that took a pretty great person to do. The story ends in Nabal's dying. It doesn't say exactly why, but when he learns what David was coming to do, he may have had a stroke <laughs> of fear, and he dies a few days later. And even though what this bad thing was that happened to David in Nabal refusing to help him and no food and, and David not knowing what to do, 
God had a plan because what happened? David ended up marrying Abigail. And what's even more important that we don't think about is that because Abigail was married to Nabal, who was this great clan leader in the whole Calebite clans, by marrying David, she, in essence, brought the loyalty of the clans with her to David. So later on, when David was trying to bring Judah and Israel together, because he was married to Abigail, much of Judah and Israel were already pledging themselves to follow him through her. And so God had this long-range plan where even though some things happened that David didn't think were very good, God made the best of that and had his plan turn out in the end that would be best for David. It didn't hurt that she was very beautiful too. <laughs> okay, event number four. David, again, being driven to the Philistines area by Saul. Remember, if you remember the story, Saul eventually went hunting for David and slept in the cave. David didn't attack him. Happened another time where he was sleeping uh, and David went down and took his water bottle and the spear of Abner, the general, and so on. And um, the first of those times, Saul said, okay, you could have killed me. I repent. You know, I'm not going to do you any harm. And then he turned around and started chasing David again. So finally, David felt that he had no place to go, and he had to leave Judah and go to Philistia. Now, again, how would you feel about having something bad happen and you having to leave your home leave your whole country because you're being persecuted, wouldn't you say, God, why are not you protecting me? Why are you not doing something to Saul? Why are you not letting me live here in my land? What's happening? So he was forced to leave. And I really love this story. Uh, if you read First Samuel 27, it's the whole story of David when he goes down to King Achish in Ziklag, kind of a neat-sounding little town in Philistia. Remember, this is not in Israel or Judah. This is where the Philistines live. And it's just barely south of Gath. And where does Gath come into the story of David? It's where Goliath lived, right, before he killed him. And Goliath had how many brothers? He had four or five other brothers that were just as big as mean as he was. And so now David is living in Ziklag by permission of King Achish. He gave, basically gave him the town and said, you and your band can live here. All I want for you is you protect my southern borders. Don't let the Amalekites and all those people who keep coming up and attacking Philistia, you keep them out. And because of that, then I'll give you this city. So even though David was run out of his country, he was given a city, so that was good. He lived there a while, and King Achish required certain payments to be made to him, and so he expected David to make those payments by going and attacking the Judahite people and the Israelite people and getting spoils. 
Well, there's no way David could do that. So instead, he went down and attacked other Philistine towns and Amalekite towns and got what he was required to pay to King Achish and took it up to him that way. But one of the big things that happened at this time was that Philistia, the Philistines decided to go to war with Israel in a big, big way. Probably the biggest battle that the Philistines had with Israel. And he asked David to come up and fight with him, King Achish did, against Judah and Israel. Again, David probably said, oh, great. Why has God allowed that? How can I go and fight my fellow people in Israel and Judah? There's no way. But he had already made an agreement with Achish that he would be under him and fight for him, so he was caught between a rock and a hard place. Again, asking, God, why are you allowing this to happen? But God solved the problem when David actually went up to where they were all meeting to go to war by having the other Philistine leaders say to King Achish, we don't want David here fighting with us because what happens if he changes his mind and he's in our rear and we're fighting the guys in front of us, David's going to come from behind and kill us that way. And so God solved the problem by having all the other leaders send David home back to Ziklag and not be in the battle. However, when he got back to Ziklag, another event happened that had David probably saying as we would, where are you, God? What happened? He got back to Ziklag and the whole town had been burned and all of their wives and children of this group of 400 and David were gone. Where's God? Why has he allowed this to happen? And you'll read about it there in Samuel where God or David prayed to God and God revealed where they were and what had happened and he told David to go and chase them because he would be able to recover them. So he goes down, follows the trail, finds the camp. There's a big battle and he pretty much decimates all the Amalekites who have taken his wives and children and, and all the other guys' wives and children and everything and comes back. And we say, well, great, God helped him get out of this bad situation. But God's plans were a lot farther and long-range than this because of what happened here with David killing all those Amalekites and getting his families back. He put such a hurt on the Amalekites that they didn't bother Israel for quite a long time after that. And in fact, if you go through the Bible record, it wasn't until six or seven years down the line that they caused problems for him again. Plus the fact that in this great big battle that Israel and the Philistines had at this time, the battle of Mount Gilboa, where Saul and Jonathan and all the other sons of Saul were killed, it was a great defeat for Israel. But it was just as much of a defeat for the Philistines because of the amount killed on their side also. And if we look at the record, again, David didn't have to go to war against the Philistines for another seven years 
until by that time he had already consolidated the kingdom, he had set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and it was only then that he had to go back and fight the Philistines some more. Because God had arranged matters in such a way that uh, even though they, King Saul lost his life, it hurt the Philistines just as much as it did Israel in the matter of people killed. So God was watching over and he was arranging events in such a way that in the long run it would be better for David in having this happen. Not only that, think about God had promised David a long time before that he would be king, but only on God's terms. And so how could David be king unless Saul was dead? Because David wouldn't go against Saul, wouldn't raise his hand against him. So again, God's long-range plans is at this battle, Saul was going to lose his life so that David could finally be able to step in as king. I want to end with a quote from The Desire of Ages, something for us to think about in our lives as things happen to us. God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. So anytime anything bad happens in our lives, whether it's personal, whether it's our family, uh, a tragedy, don't forget that God has the long-range plan in mind. He allows things to happen in this world of sin. He allows Satan to have a certain freedom, you might say, because we have chosen Satan as our leader, as a human race, haven't we? He'll allow things to happen, but in God's long-range plan, he has things for us that will make those bad things turn out good. And we may not know it at the time. We may think that we have been persecuted for no reason, or we may think that uh, God isn't there anymore because he's allowed this or that to happen. But just remember that God's plans are much more long-range, and in the end, he will allow what is best for us to learn lessons, to prepare for the future, or to just get us ready for what he wants us to be in the very end. Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we ask that you will be with us in each and every instance in our lives. When you allow certain things to happen, or when Satan causes bad things to happen in our lives, help us to realize that you are still in total control and that you will bring good out of bad. That the lessons that you are trying to teach us are not just lessons for the moment, but lessons for long range. And so we pray that you may keep, help us keep that in mind as we continue to follow you day by day and let you work it out in the end to our salvation. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our Father, we are so happy that you guide and lead us each and every day. May we keep that in mind through good times and bad times. And help us now as we go through the coming week that we may continue to be your witness 
and that you may give us opportunities to do your work, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.